Good afternoon, Roadie Nation. Mark's Remark is back for another week. Back with a new guest. Similar sport, as you guys are probably familiar with. Another member of the men's soccer team. But this week, I'm joined by junior midfielder and one of the 2023 captains of the men's soccer team, Max Quichoff. Max, Hello. how are you doing this afternoon? Doing amazing. Doing amazing. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Been looking forward to this. Obviously, the... Men's soccer season probably didn't end on the um, best note or the note that many people had hoped, but I mean, this is why we're here. Get to talk about yeah. get to talk about the good, when we get to also talk about the bad. So, kind of just sort of jump right into it. Before we get into a little bit of your um, personal past, I'm more curious. Just what are some of your reflecting thoughts on this season? Because I mean, I know you had a bit of a tumultuous one on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, mine was rough with uh, riddled with injuries um, that didn't seem to go away. But as a team, uh, came in high expectations and just lacked results. I mean, lost some big names. Obviously, Zach Dre that's been with the program for five years. Pat Ogerman, that's obviously gone on to play pro and do, do extremely well. Um, so battling that is obviously never easy. But with the talent we had, we still have um, expected more, to be honest. Expected more from everybody. I mean, five, six, and five, it's the sec- uh, second season, I believe, with draws being draws. implemented and everything. That, and that was one of the things that Coach Elliott, when I had spoken to him after the end mm-hmm. of last year, that was one of the main things that he had said were um, some of the biggest drawbacks of the season, whereas you couldn't get that final goal or 100%. get or hold on to 100%. hold those late leads. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just a difficult season all around. I feel like that... Coming off of last year, there was obviously, like you had mentioned, there was a decent core that needed to be replaced, especially with Pat being like that main focal point in offense. And this year, it seemed as if that you were taking significant steps to do that. A whole Mm -hmm. new look team, basically, a number of transfers coming in, in attack, in midfield, and in defense. I mean, just like, what would you say in terms of the development of the squad after this year? Do you feel like that the squad, even with the missing out in the playoffs and so on, are taking steps in the right direction? Most definitely, most definitely. Even though, obviously, we didn't get the results this year, it was something. You know, it's going to take time to fit, the, like, fill in those big names. You know, Dre or Pat, Jordan. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a couple of years. But with the talent we've brought in and with the talent that I'm sure the coaches have already been looking at, I have no doubts that we'll be able to fill that void. No doubts at all. I feel like fans pro- fans agree as well. I mean, it's always a talented roster. There is never 100%. really a time where men's soccer doesn't have a plethora of talent oh, at their yep. disposal. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that you can probably call some of these seasons blips on the radar and such. Most definitely, yeah, definitely a blip. Because URI, obviously, we have a really rich history. I mean, 2018-2019, back-to-back Atlantic 10 champions. So going from that to not making playoffs two years in a row, makes our team look worse than it is, I think. Because um, our expectations are just so high year in and year out, no matter who we lose, no matter who we bring in. Our expectation is always that we should be able to compete for an Atlantic 10 championship. But the past two years, we have failed to, failed to get close, which is, which is where the frustration is coming. Well, even, even with the frustration, you take some of these seasons, you take the extra month or so that mm-hmm. you get when you don't make the playoffs to really assess the current mm-hmm. situation it gives coach Elliott and the rest of his coaching staff the ability to kind of just take a look back at the squad see what truly needs to improve see if there are any positions that can be mm-hmm. improved upon just like they did last year and then you yep. bring in like a number of defenders like you bring in Clark Tozak to yep. really solidify that defense you bring in a, another Spaniard like Inigo Exegaray yep. who is another uh, serious catalyst in the attacking yep. and midfield mm-hmm. sort of connection so I mean there were a number of pieces that were brought in and there was a number of bright spots in mm-hmm. this in this team, but it seemed that even with those bright spots, a lot of it couldn't really come together. Most definitely, and I think that's just going to be something that comes with time. I mean, we look at the team my freshman year when we went to an Atlantic 10 semifinal. We had been playing together, uh, maybe not me specifically, but that team, our starting 11, had been playing together for a couple years at that point. They were all people that had been through Rody, seen every team in the A-10 multiple times, and I think that's just something that's going to come with experience for a lot of us. Oh, absolutely. You can say that for almost every team that's yeah. going through transition. It seems to be something that has been um, kind of a popular theme with athletics at URI in recent yep. years. You look at like teams like men's basketball that are going through a number of yep. transitions, transitions as well. So it's, it's all part of the natural growth Sports. of things. Yep. Exactly. Sports. Sports. So kind of moving away from the team-centric mm-hmm. point of view for a little bit, mm-hmm. I want to talk about you, your role on the team. You were yep. named a one of the three captains yep. this year. 
alongside Kevin Castaneda and Vitel Nielsen, both mm-hmm. of whom are going to be graduating. Um, just kind of walk me through what that initial feeling was like. I mean, I know we, t- we talked about it a little bit with given just sort of your lack of experience per se yeah. in uh, alongside those other two, but just mm-hmm. what were some of your initial feelings when you were told that? I mean, obviously, first one is excited. It's always been a dream, you know, become a captain. Every, every team that I've ever been on, I've been a leader or had that exact captain role. Um, but at a divisional level, it is a completely different task in itself. I was named captain as a 19-year-old when I started junior year. So not only am I young, but I had only started in a handful of games last year, like played some decent minutes last year. Freshman year, I played a couple games. But to go from that to then being the guy that's representing our team, like being the one that everybody looks at when things go wrong, it's difficult, really difficult. Um, and I was lucky enough to have Vetle and, and Kevin with me as well. So we were able to, you know, discuss things constantly. And with a season that doesn't go so well, you get a lot of fingers pointed at you. So that's obviously not easy. And then battling injury for myself, you know, it's hard to be, be a captain, guide your team when things are going wrong, but you're also not even on the field. So that becomes an, a completely, like, different issue in itself. I mean, so you, uh, looking back kind of at your career statistics, mm-hmm. 15 games played your freshman year, handful of starts here. Yeah, actually, no, only one game started your freshman year. And um, got an assist, though. Got an assist. Give give you that. (laughs) You're contributing. Yeah. Um, And then next season, your your involvement starts to come up. You played in 16 games. You started seven of them and scored one goal. And you clearly made an impression to the coaching staff. And it was just like a combination of your personality and your maturity Mm -hmm. as well as the stuff you input on the field. I mean, from your point of view, what do you believe allowed you to be in this position per se? Um, I definitely think it's my energy and my mindset. I wouldn't say by any stretch of an imagination that I am one of the more talented players on our team. Obviously, I have a couple things in my wheelhouse that you know I can do better than other players. But my consistency, my energy, my mindset going into every single practice, every single game um, puts me on a stool above. That's all. But even like little things like practice, I'm always you know the one getting everybody going, the one bringing the energy, um, the motivation. I'd say just getting everybody on the same page. Every team definitely needs that. Yeah. I remember I was we were watching you guys earlier in the season. It might have been the Stonehill game. Mm-hmm. I was watching you guys. It was uh, I think Kevin won a free kick in the defensive half, and you guys were already winning, and it didn't really matter. But you go mm-hmm. up to him, you're screaming at him, like yeah. got right into his face, like getting super amped yeah. up. And it was just one of those things where it's like, as someone who's played soccer, like I've always mm-hmm wanted to have a captain or teammates like yeah. that that really motivate me and are ones mm-hmm. that are like celebrating everything. Yeah. It's those it's those types of guys that really keep mm-hmm. you going and I feel like that's got to be part of the reason and part of the mindset that um, Coach Elliott had when he had decided to yeah. bring you into that mm-hmm. fold. Because I mean you've got you've got a number of other guys that have a plethora of experience yeah. as well and it doesn't take away from their role in the team mm-hmm. and such but it also I feel like it also allows a bit um, for a bit more of a connection with some of those younger guys. Most if, definitely. If Most you've definitely. got Someone like you as a junior, 19 years old, you may say you're unexperienced, but you look at some of these freshmen coming in, 17, 18 years old, that are exactly no experience. And so you have someone who's got that leadership role, Mm -hmm. who has the trust of those coaches, and they can look to him and be like, all right, if this kid's able to get the admiration and such of his peers Mm -hmm. and his coaches, that'll push me to to move forward. Yeah, I always want to be one of the guys that they look up to. I mean, when I came in, I obviously looked up to a couple of players that I thought had consistent energy. I mean, Zach Dreyer was one of them. I mean, every single game, week in, week out, the kid wanted to win, wanted to win. So I love when they look up to me. I love constantly being with them. I mean, like there have been multiple times where like we'll just like go out to eat because it's like I want to be the one that like they go to whenever something's going wrong. I want to be the one that they remember when my when my time here is done. I want to be a, you know a role model for them in any way I possibly can. And it's it's quite admirable to have that mindset. I feel like you see a lot of people that are in sort of similar positions or in mm-hmm. on programs like this at your age that don't really have that mindset yep. necessarily. And it's something that obviously comes with time. But mm-hmm. to have already kind of established that just kind mm-hmm. of shows your character. Yep. So I want to continue to turn the clock back a mm-hmm. little bit, a little bit further. Growing up in New York, yep. small town just outside of Buffalo, as just we were talking about this before the show, probably as far away in like. New England, as you, as could, you possibly could possibly get, get. Yeah. from from URI, you were a part of Empire of um, Empire Academy or yep. Empire United. Yep. Empire, yeah. um, 
at, that was a, a U.S. Development Academy, part of the MLS Next system, yep. and so on there. And but you were coached by a former Ram. Yep. And so, just kind of tell me about your experiences under him, and mm. then just how that probably you talk. We talked about the connections you had with URI, but just some of how that may have propelled you to mm-hmm. look at URI a little Most bit Most definitely. More. So not only did he go to URI, but he's also one of my favorite coaches that I've ever had. So if he was a terrible coach, I would have never even <laughs> turned an eye at URI. Um, but not only is he a fantastic player and coach, but he's also a great person. I mean, like, I love that guy with my entire heart. So then it made me think, okay, well, if he turned out like this, maybe I want to, you know, look at a similar school. And then we had Zach Dreyer, Josh Cam, we've had a couple other players come here. Um and not only does it fit my technical ability, my soccer skill, um, but I love the school. I love everything about it. So it just kind of made sense for me. And so were, was URI one of the only schools you were looking at? Did you field any other offers from other programs? Yeah, so I actually had a bit of a weird recruiting process. So junior year, obviously, going through it normally, um, went on a handful of tours, went to URI, UNH, UVM, uh, Colgate. There was a couple others. And then I received an offer from... URI, UNH, and Navy, okay? And then COVID hits. So then I'm like, well, don't know what I'm going to do now Um, because when that hit, it was just like I might not play soccer again for two more years. Like everything just completely completely, completely shuts down. So I go from constantly emailing coaches, constantly on the phone, um, to essentially nothing. So then obviously a bit of, I wouldn't say panic, but a bit of stress comes on because you're like, well, I've got these three offers, so do I wait and search for something better and take a chance, or do I want to go with something that I know will not only fit me, but I'll have a good time there as well? So I looked at those three, and URI seemed like the best fit for me, and I, I wouldn't have made us a different decision. How excited it. was Coach Tenka when you had gotten the URI offer? Incredibly excited. He loves it every single time uh, whenever anybody goes. I mean, even when we're at practice, he's always talking about, hey, like, you know, Somebody should go. He's always bringing up, oh, I went to URI, I went to URI. Um, so when he sees another player that, you know, he likes, go there. It's, it's a big moment for him. And so then you come to URI as a freshman. Like I said, you had made 15 appearances during yep. that um, run to the Atlantic 10 semifinals. Mm-hmm. You were a part of a program that was star-studded in, ter- in, 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 re- in terms of regional and national promise. I yeah, mean, incredible. You, you look at guys like, I mean, Patrick Ajaman. Yeah. I feel like every time I talk to different members of the program there's a different story yeah exactly it's someone it's someone that everyone has something different to say i mean Mm -hmm. just like you had the opportunity to play with him for two years Mm -hmm. just what were some of your experiences with Mm -hmm. him just like what were some of the like things that you got to learn about him and so on yeah so not only is he an incredible player he's also an incredible guy i mean i absolutely love the guy um but i have never played with a guy who is so talented I mean, there would be games where we would be getting outplayed. But you know if you were to clear a ball 60 yards up the field to either side and he gets there first, something is going to happen. I've never been with a player that has ever, like, single-handedly been able to man, like, man his way through a different, like, a team. It's actually incredible to watch. It's incredible to play with. Um, there are some times where... He loves scoring goals, so he's a little selfish in front of goal, as he should be. Um, but I've never been with a player who can do stuff like that. It's incredible. And it was fascinating. Like When I had the opportunity to talk to him at um, just before the MLS draft, I did a little bit of an interview with him kind of talking about his experiences, mm-hmm. and we kind of touched upon just that sort of COVID environment as well because mm-hmm. it really it played a serious impact during like that coming into 2021. Yep. Like You still Weird didn't year. really know. And, and just like... Coming out of high school, coming mm-hmm. out of COVID, having been sort of, I don't know, used to those experiences mm-hmm. per se, like being living during the pandemic, playing yep. during the pandemic, um, and then kind of jumping into jumping into a program with some of these high guys at a high soccer, level. Yeah. How how was that transition for you, and how helpful were some of those guys like mm-hmm. Pat who have sort of been there before? Yeah. Um, I'd be lying if I say it wasn't scary. I mean, obviously. The first like two weeks of training, you're like, oh my god! Not only is this incredibly difficult, but these kids can play. I mean, when you're playing at a high school level, there's always like a drop off. I mean, you have the top four or five guys, six guys, and then you know it drops down. Kids that are going to go D three, D two. But as soon as I came into URI, I thought about it like this: 
no matter what team they make, when we play 6v6 in training, it is a game every single time. It doesn't matter who's on whose team. It doesn't matter if you play starters versus non-starters. does not matter. Every single kid at the Division One level can play well. Well, it's it also kind of is a testament to the balanced roster that they're mm-hmm. trying to create and that competitiveness because you you got to give credit to the coaching staff where they instill that um, that character in all yep. of you where it's like all right no spot is sacred no yep. spot is going to be held I mean especially you look at this year which we'll touch upon later mm-hmm. I mean when I saw the first starting lineup I saw of the season I recognized maybe five names yeah it's so incredible. It, it, it's, it's incredible. Crazy. But um, it's so it, you got to give credit to the coaching staff for really instilling that culture yep. of competitiveness yep. and that yes you are all a can't family settle. but you can't settle yep. it's always competing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in practice, you know, you're my friend, but you also might take my spot. So it's consistency. Every single day we go out, it, you're fighting to start on the weekend, a hundred percent. And so, kind of just touching on your freshman year again, mm-hmm. you're a part of that team. You're making appearances, substitute appearances, coming off the bench mm-hmm. as the team is really picking up some yep. steam, making its way into the Atlantic 10 playoffs. As a freshman and your first ever taste of college soccer, I mean, just mm-hmm. what was that experience like? Not necessarily riding the bench for a bit of a yeah. playoff run, but still being somewhat involved. Yeah. Um, terrifying. Terrifying. I mean, I mean, the first time I went on the field, my first ever game I played in, I just remember being like, it's so fast. It's so loud. There's fans, which I had never had fans before. Um, so it was a lot to take in. But obviously, you play one game, you play another. It, you settle down. Your heart rate slows down. You know, you can play like yourself again. But for those first couple games, you're basically like a chicken with your head cut off. I mean, you're frantic. You're trying to do what you know. But there's so many things going on, you can barely focus on the game. Especially playing in midfield, too. And you midfield. play you play one of the most stressful and strenuous yeah, positions 100%. you could possibly do. That mm-hmm. midfield enforcer, like, dropping yeah, in front of the defense, mm-hmm. like, that box-to-box role. And I mean, just getting thrown into the fire, per se, as a freshman, mm-hmm. I mean, that must have... Like, I can only imagine what would be going through your head, Very being like, difficult. oh, God, the second I make a mistake, it might be yeah. over. I'm lucky to say that I did have... I was playing behind Jordan Kandua, who was a really good role model for me. I think we play very similar soccer. So watching him day in and day out, I was able to kind of follow what he does because obviously he succeeded at a visual level. He's led us on that run. Um, so u- using him as a tool helped a lot. Helped yes, a that was kind of going to be my next question. Just like mm-hmm. as you're making your way through, you're maturing through this program like the first year or so, who were some of the guys like outside of like Jordan and Pat mm-hmm. that you kind of looked to to – maybe model your game after or just look to as just some sort of role model in order to like mm-hmm. stay focused and stay sort of level um, mm-hmm. flat-footed in a way? W- without a doubt, Stefan Schmidt. Uh, my freshman year, our goalie, the best player I think I've ever played with, along with Pat, um, he was incredible and he was the biggest worker on the field, off the field. He was absolutely incredible whenever it came to that. So looking at him, I was able to be like, I want to end up like him in four years. I want some kid to look up to me when they're a freshman and think the exact same thing. So using him as like an example helped tons, helped tons. Was there ever like a language barrier between some of you and the guys? I know Stefan coming over from Germany. There was the internet, the amount of international talent on the squad has obviously increased over the past couple of years. But I mean, has there ever been, like, a bit of a language barrier when There's, you try to work with some of these guys? It's funny. It's funny because they all come in at different levels. So, like, Rafa, very good English now, came in, didn't understand a word. Right? <laughs> and, and then you're playing soccer with them, and you're saying words to him, but, you know, you're just kind of getting, like, a blank stare back. So, it obviously makes you laugh a little you bit. got to incorporate a lot yeah. of points. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, no, no, you got to eat up the wind. Get that yeah. way. <laughs> um, but it's super interesting to see their development, to be honest. I mean... Even, like, Rodrigo this year came in is okay, but I think constantly being around him, constantly, like, helping him out, stuff like that, it's, it's cool to see. Like, they end up being very good at English, every single one of them. So. It's funny because you, you, as you're trying to teach them English, I uh-huh. feel, that they're picking up the subtle nuances of what yeah. you're talking about. Like, you start to get the context. Yeah. Do you find yourself ever learning some of their own languages? A little bit. All the time, actually. Um, so much so that... When I actually visited Rafa in Spain this summer, and I was, like, trying my best <laughs> to, like, put myself in an uncomfortable situation just to see, like, how much I could do if I could handle it. Um, and he definitely taught me a thing or two. So as much as I taught him, he also taught me. Has playing with any of these players 
motivated you to possibly learn a language just for like the future? I feel 100%. like one hundred percent. I feel like some people uh, mm-hmm. would would take that like playing with some of the guys from like Norway and Denmark and yeah. stuff is like all right. Now this is kind of cool. Like, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind knowing yeah, a little bit of super d- cool. Danish. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it's just beyond cool. I think it's incredibly impressive. I mean, they're coming to a, a fairly good university, URI, very good university, and taking every single class in a different language is incredibly difficult. So to do it's admirable, to be honest. Um, so I would love to. I'd love to. I love. I like saying it right now, but will I do it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it was definitely something that that I want to do. And probably be a good, probably a good life skill to have, 100%. especially if you stay in the sports world. I know that I'm like right now. I'm trying to study French because it's just good to have that extra language where it's like you never mm-hmm. know what opportunity you know. could yeah. happen, and you exactly. never know some athletes could be talking to that only speak French or something yeah. like that. Um, and so I want to kind of go back to another comment you had just made about the fans. Mm-hmm. I remember my freshman year, we had the our little roadie mafia, mafia student yeah. section <laughs> hanging hanging out down at the far end of the far end of the URI soccer complex mm-hmm. really cheering you guys on and i came from a, another small high school in connecticut mm-hmm. where it's a lot of the times midweek games like early afternoon yeah, games no you didn't out. have any fans no one's out and so it just it, i, I want you to kind of just expand a little bit mm-hmm. on how big of an impact the fans were at the start for you, and then mm-hmm. just as you've kind of grown, and as you, as more fans have started to really take a notice to this mm-hmm. team, how it's impacted you over the past few yeah, years. Yeah, it's huge, actually. And when I was in high school, Empire Academy doesn't allow you to play high school soccer. So the games that we were playing on the weekends essentially had nobody. We'd have like a couple parents and some college scouts, and it was, it, the place was empty, quiet. So to go from that to my first game, like, not only like getting heckled, but like also getting cheered for. It's incredible. I love it every single day when we go out and there's fans. It makes my day. What do you think is a more tense atmosphere? Having three parents and a couple college scouts or having a thousand fans? It's weird because they're very similar. Having a college scout is extremely stressful when you know, oh, he's here to watch me play. I have to play good today. But there's something about hearing a thousand people all roar or scream at the same time that is unbelievable. There's nothing like it. It's funny because as someone who's like played soccer, I've never played in front of a crowd like that yeah. before. But it's like you, everyone watching you has an expectation when they come an to the game. Yep. The college scouts have an expectation of trying to see you play well in terms of measuring your ability. Yeah. Whereas the freshmen who are just walking out of Butterfield trying to find something to do. They want to see a good game. (laughs) They want to see you or I win. So it's funny, like, you're dealing with very similar expectations, but they're looking at it through completely completely different different. lenses. Completely different. And, I mean, just like, as as, having started that fan group, Mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons how I made so many friends that you or I was going to watch you guys and do that. And it was funny because as... The game sort of went on, mm-hmm. and even as it got colder, you just saw more, more and, and more. more people yep. showing I up. I love that. It was, oh my God, it was so fun. I mean, even this year, Providence game, 2,100 people. Yeah. One of the best feelings of my entire life. It's too bad the game didn't end in our favor, um, but even going out there and you, like, you, win a, you win a tackle, or you, know, you win a header, and the crowd yells, that is the best feeling in the entire world. So, I mean, just, you usually hear people discuss, like, playing in an ocean state rivalry when you're mm-hmm. talking like basketball and yeah. more recently football because of the fact that Bryant yep. plays yep. but soccer plays Providence and Bryant almost every year yeah it's just it's just part of the schedule now as someone who's now played both mm-hmm. what's that experience like lining up against those two teams it, it's so interesting because when I came in everybody's like oh we hate Providence you know we hate we hate Bryant and I was like I could care less I've never been in Rhode Island I don't grow up here but talking to the guys in Rhode Island they're talking about they had gone to those games since they were six. Every single year, they would go out and they'd pick players that, you know, they loved. They'd get signed jerseys and stuff like that. And now, speaking as a junior, I hate both of those programs. <laughs> I absolutely hate both of those programs. Um, it's crazy how much of a Rhode Islander I've become. Um, but those games are something special. Something special without a doubt. It's, it's like you've got the pride as a student yep. at the forefront where it's like you want – nothing more than you or I to be the best program in the state. Yep. But then it adds a whole other level to it when you're the one on the field, on the field. trying to make that mm-hmm. happen. And it's like, I mean, I have to imagine that it's all usually professional at the end of the day when you're talking to some yeah. of these guys yeah, and so okay. on. But I mean, hey, but it does get a little chippy, though. It I gets mean, chippy. What, like, kind of tell me a little bit about the, the about the Providence game this year. I mean, that was 
little little little, little dicey beyond, tackle from Hall Stafford. Beyond beyond Chippy. Um, I, first of all, he's an idiot. So, uh, <laughs> Mike, uh, Michael, we know we 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 hope you're listening to that because yeah, we hope you heard yes, that because that yes. was a uh, crazy tell him tackle. To his face. Um, he claims he didn't step on him. Stepped on him. Um, so then we're playing down a man, and that's when it gets even chippier because you need to act like we have 11 people. We're gonna fight even harder. So then, like even me, Yvonne gets into it sometimes. But that is the stuff that I, I live for. I love those kind of games. They get chippy. They're they're gross. You know, it's like less soccer and more just like who can be crazier today. Yeah. But th- those are the most fun ones to play in. Well, that's like that's a sort of midfield general. Um, yeah personification I sort of gave you when I was telling some people about about this interview I was like mm-hmm. this is if you haven't gone to watch URI men's soccer and you want an idea about who Max Quitchoff is yeah. hopefully you'll hear me five mid- minutes in. exactly <laughs> but just a midfield general I mean there were a couple couple phrases you probably couldn't say on WRI yeah, that come to mind. Yeah. but you you just think about it it's like you you're like that holding guy you're that anchor that goes mm-hmm. up and down that yep a little bit more physical and Golo Conte yeah. type of <laughs> yeah. role. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you watch like you watch the URI-Providence game. Most people, when they think of URI-Providence, you think of basketball. Those yep. are the two main sports that the schools have Definitely. to offer. That's where you think all the energy is. But, no, it matters just as much whether and you're playing soccer, softball, track and field. Everything. All matters. Everything. And it's just like, you know, it even matters from a fan perspective. I mean, like I said, it was over 2,100 people. people. Packed into the UI mm-hmm. soccer complex Which in is those small. in those rinky dinky <laughs> stands, tiny stands, tiny stands, and it's just unbelievable just to show how much the program has grown too. Because I mean, Tons. you you talked about just for the first time really seeing fans mm-hmm. at uh, as a freshman, and when I started coming as a freshman, before I truly got involved in the sports journalism mm-hmm. uh, landscape here, I was noticing just a little bit of the fandom at URI mm-hmm. soccer games because I was like, all right, this is. A, there's a decent amount of fans yeah. here. Nothing, not like some of the southern schools yeah. down, like yeah, the top twenty five programs and so on. And so I was like, I was honestly a little impressed. Mm-hmm. And then as next year comes, sophomore year, more more people. people. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, and, like this is yeah. That's the part that's really sad is that freshman year we did incredible, tons of people coming out enjoying it, and then the expectations are so high, and then we let them down sophomore year, and now it's junior year. I feel like we let them down again. So it's going to be difficult to get that consistency back, to get that trust back, I'd say, between us and the local soccer community of Rhode Island. Um, but have faith. Have faith. I, I do want to touch upon the expectations mm-hmm. and just how last season and this season went. But, I mean, something that I've noticed is that you still consistently get more and more fans yep. as people come on. So mm-hmm. I feel like that even with the expectations, people still care a great deal about you guys to the point where they'll come out and watch you even if you guys are like losing, pouring four. rain. I mean, you look at like you look at the men's basketball team last year and the year and before. Even though they're losing, they're still getting. Well, no, not even that. I mm-hmm. honestly like in terms of the per capita fans or like yeah. the amount of fans you get on average. Like when we would go to men's basketball games last year and the year before, as the team really started to dissipate, the student section of the Ryan Center would go from like a thousand or a couple thousand to, to like eight people. Yeah. Like um, my freshman year. Senior day for men's basketball, there were 20 people in the student section. That's insane. It, exactly. And it's men's basketball. And we probably had 20 as well. No, but the, for, <laughs> for, what it, for what it's worth, though, it should be. It's, it's, but for men's soccer, it's consistently driving up a crowd. Yeah. Where it's like when men's basketball, when they've continu- uh, as they've sort of declined over the past couple of years, they're obviously looking to really bounce back yeah. as you guys were. It's just, it seemed that more people were inclined to go to men's soccer games and more mm-hmm. people seemed to care to go to those mm-hmm. because you guys consistently put up such a great fight. Yeah. It wasn't like you were getting blown out every game. No. I mean, we're going to talk about the Brian Dayton couple, game a little couple bit. couple blowouts. But. but it was never, there were never mm-hmm. games that were truly where you guys were getting destroyed. No, and I feel never. like that's a another testament. A big factor. Yeah, yeah, it's another testament about like how you guys are moving in the right direction mm-hmm. because... You're close in every single game. Every game. It's every game is very close, yep. and that's what keeps people from 100%. leaving. They want to stay and watch this because I mean, it goes until the very end. Yeah, one that comes to mind this year is Fordham. I mean, oh, exactly. We're, we're essentially last place in the league. They're 24th in the nation, and we win at home. I mean, it literally on any given day can go either way. St. Louis last year, the three-two was way. unbelievable. Like it's it's those types of results that 
it seems like they're more common with you guys. Yeah. That w- is what really keeps people engaged with your I program. Agree. And I, I feel like that that's that's something whereas like it's unique to soccer. Exactly. It's, it's unique. unique to soccer, but it's also unique to you guys. Yeah. And you look at this season where it's like this is exceptionally disappointing. The seniors mm-hmm. are going to be graduating. They're like upset that this season obviously yeah, didn't fell, go away. Fell short. But you look at that the overarching picture. You look mm-hmm. at the community that's been created here. I have never witnessed a soccer community like this in my life. Me I just either. haven't. Yeah. And it's, you look at, like, I would say to some of my friends being like, hey, do you want to go to, like, football game? You want to mm-hmm. go to basketball game? Some of my friends are more or less like, ah, eh, maybe. Like, especially yeah. football. It's like, eh, maybe, it's I don't bad. know. Yeah. But when I say, hey, let's go to a soccer game, more than likely I'm going to get people to go to yeah. the game. Because it's always competitive. Always. Yeah. Smash and grab, rough tackles, yeah. like, a lot of action. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of product that you guys put forth yep. that really makes it so fun to watch. I think it's our play style as well. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, consi- like, not only are we kind of gritty and, you know, talk a lot on the field, but we score, like, like yeah, goals. All I mean, gas, no breaks. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's play, all gas, playing no. out from the defense, We're, just bombing the ball forward. Yeah, well, you're not going to see us, like, pass through a team very much, but... We will score some ugly goals. Which oh yeah, are the, are the best ones in my opinion. Oh no, no the, those are hands down the best because yeah. especially those ugly goals sometimes come at the most inopportune the, yeah, moments. Exactly. Like even like the St. Louis game last year when Was, Pat, when um uh, when Jiggy scored. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Me things. neither. <laughs> Impossible. Let's call him Jiggy because yeah. I know that's the nickname that you yeah, guys Jiggy, have for Jiggy. him. But I mean, he scores with ten seconds left against a, uh, one of the best soccer programs in the country. In the country. And I mean, just. Talking about that, we talked. You mentioned how Fordham are top twenty-five. I mean, you just got to talk about St. Louis for yeah. for you guys that don't really follow Atlantic Ten men's soccer. I need you to understand. I have never seen a program dominant. that is so dominant in both men's and women's soccer yeah. at the same time it's than incredible. St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis women's soccer won five nil in the semifinals of the A10 yeah. championship this year to go that to the final. I think I think the final might be today. I think yeah, it's either today or tomorrow. I'm I'm definitely yeah. going to be looking at that because they're <laughs> ridiculously, ridiculously good. good. But I mean, like again. It's a testament that you're able to grind out a result against, against St. Louis, yeah. who are consistently ranked. Yeah, and it's just ranked. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it was the year before that where they made a run to the Elite Eight NCAA. So at that point, when we played them, we were okay, um, but they were again they were ranked like 15th in the nation. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, that's probably my favorite game of, of soccer I've ever played in. It was my first start at home, pink jerseys, fans pouring, pouring rain. rain. I felt like a rock star a little bit. Um, <laughs> But that was unbelievable. It just goes to show how crazy soccer is. Oh, my God. Especially yeah. collegiate soccer. Collegiate, collegiate soccer is one of the most underappreci- underappreciated sports that the U.S. Mm-hmm. has to offer. Yeah. Easily. Easily one of the most underappreciated. So, going into just sort of last year. Mm-hmm. At the end of last year, basically the same position you guys are now. Yeah. Very and similar. Missing, missing out in the playoffs. I mean, last year was awful because it was that last game against Dayton. You lose two nothing at home against Dayton. Everything, every other result that went that could have gone wrong went wrong. wrong. It was just a brutal, a brutal Brutal. luck. Brutal. And so, doing my sort of research into you guys last Mm -hmm. year, spoke to coach, spoke to Pat, kind of talked about how this next coming year was going to be a year of reshaping the roster. You lose Zach, you lose Pat, you lose Jordan, Jordan, you lose a lot of those guys, and you're trying to think, all right, how are we going to operate? as more of a cohesive unit. We don't want to be one-dimensional, because mm-hmm. not saying that Pat is by any means one-dimensional, yeah. but teams can prepare when, prepare, you've, got a, yeah. when you've got such a Dominant. prominent yeah. linchpin up front. So, And then when I spoke to Coach Elliott, he was talking about how big of, a tra- how big of an impact the transfer portal was going to be. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, just, did. it was. It, it was. was one of the biggest ones. I mean, I'm going through mm-hmm. the roster right now. You look at guys like Nikos Klaas Tozak, you look at guys like, oh, hold on, we're going to keep keep going here. Yeah. You look at Inigo Exigaray, yeah. Joseph Mwamba, and it's just like... Yeah, Rodrigo is a, a transfer as well. Rodrigo is a transfer, a exactly. Yeah. And like even like Brandon Birmingham, another... Edu. Edu, yeah. yeah. All, of these, all of these guys coming into this roster, mm-hmm. no names to some of the URI community, yeah. instantly thrown into the starting 11. Yep. And it's just like, I mean, even like Brandon Birmingham, he didn't start initially, but toward mm-hmm. the end of the year was playing yeah, lights out. Yeah, he is unbelievable. He's Un- unbelievable unbelievable yeah. forward. Another a guy, a lot of similarities to Pat mm-hmm. that I've seen, yeah. and it's just, he's going to be disgusting next yeah, year. Confident in that. Without a doubt. But I mean, it's just, you look at the st- first starting 11 of the year, and, and it's... It's a completely different. Completely year. different roster. Mm-hmm. And it took even took me by surprise, because I was yeah. like, alright, there's still a number a, of guys that of guys didn't stayed, graduate, yeah. that stayed. Not a lot of guys transferred out, that I was like, wow, wait a minute, like, where do these guys go? Yeah. And, um... 
But I mean, at the start of the year, it seemed like everything was it was sort unbelievable of picking up. Yeah, I it mean, was up until Providence, <clears throat> we hadn't conceded a goal mm-hmm. or lost a game. I mean, you tied you, and even our result against Providence, although it was a two-one loss, heartbreak. We played exceptionally well. well and you conceded an down 89th a, minute winner down a man. Yeah, like down it's, a man. Exactly. So, I mean, just kind of going through this, you tied Northeastern in an exhibition. Yep. You played Merrimack in an exhibition. You won. Mm-hmm. You played UConn in an exhibition. You won. Which was huge. Exactly. He, yeah. UConn is so UConn point, are no we're going the season rolling. Exactly. Rolling. Quinnipiac, you tied nil nil. Mm-hmm. That was a bizarre game. Weird. That game. was a weird Red card. Game. Nate Nate came up big. Dilorado he D-Lo came up came big. Up there. Big, yep. Edu got sent off in the first half. Um, but For, even first still. test of overcoming adversity. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you go first home game, Stonehill three 0 win. Kind of an expected result, but a, a big one in front uh, of the fans for the first. Score a couple goals. Yeah. Exactly. Tied against Harvard. Harvard. You are a very good opponent. Exactly. Very away competitive. away at Harvard is not an easy thing. Yeah, they're a competitive program. Mm-hmm. And then you come into Providence, two thousand people there. You lose two one. Mm-hmm. I feel like that when you look, a lot of people are going to look at that result, like outside of the Dayton and the Bryant result, mm-hmm. as like the more difficult ones to deal with. Yeah. But when you really, if you were there and you watched that game, the energy, you'd understand that the energy that the fans were putting out was one thing, mm-hmm. but the energy that you guys were putting out mm-hmm. in your own in your own it was footy, a war. it was a war. It was a war, and yeah. it was it was the epitome of what the Ocean State rivalry is. Exactly. It, like, it, it's all, that's all it was. It was perfect. I mean, so, like, for a fan's perspective, it was goals, red card, bickering, oh fights. Oh, my God. It was it, Big just, tackles. I mean, it's exactly what you want to see in a Exactly. It was, it was electric. <laughs> yeah. But um, even so, that game, difficult pill to swallow, but not the end of the world. Nope. You go, Central Connecticut game gets canceled. Mm-hmm. You play Holy Cross. Holy Cross was a one 0 win, but I feel like that that game was like the beginning of, beginning of stuff starting to fall are, apart. And at that point, I ha- I wasn't playing against Holy Cross, and I believe somebody else, it might have been Jiggy, was also injured. I don't think he played. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else was injured, and then it was like... I saw... I think, Im- guys, I think Imwama got hurt during that game, too, because he had played... And Yvonne got hurt, I believe. So that was... It was a win. It was a win, but and then we're more injured, and we're like, we didn't really deserve to win that one today. Yeah, it was... So then there's doubts, and then we got big games coming up, yeah. and then... So then... And then we go into the we Slippery go into the, slope. Go into the next you play two games in three days. Mm-hmm. Concede a total of ten goals. Was, you yeah. play Dayton. Never seen before. Yeah. You play D- Dayton at Day- away at Dayton. Dayton away is extremely difficult, first of all. They're a very good opponent, and for some reason they decide to play their best game of the year against us consistently. Well, I mean, you look at uh, last year, the two 0 win here, uh, basically yeah. knocking you guys yeah. out of playoff contention. And then you go to this, but Again, you, you got to look at it with a bit of a – take yourself back, look at the full scope, mm. a boatload of injuries. Look at Nick Rockwell getting promoted. Getting a, yeah, getting that was, a start. I met – I met he, he came to my he came to my house recently mm. um, for we – were, we were having a bit of a party for over yeah. Halloween weekend, and yeah. he came and I got to talk to him for a little bit and just hear kind of his opinion on all of that stuff. Can you Crazy. imagine being a manager, having played soccer like and played at a high enough level to where you can play as a manager, yeah. be a practice player, yeah. and so on, and then – Something out of a movie, you're all of a sudden called up <laughs> called out, out, of nowhere out of nowhere to go play against one of your bigger Biggest. Atlantic Ten yeah. rivals. And just like I like yeah. he he told me like it was an un, like a feeling unlike he's ever felt in yeah. his entire I life. I mean, I think about the first time I played, but you know, I knew I was gonna play. I mean, I was a roster player, like everything, I was on the team. But he really got thrown into it within the course of a week of you're not on the team to you're playing in our next game. And he, he played 20 minutes. It's not it's even a, like it's not even like not he played. Even, yeah, like he That's played a 20 minutes. Of time. Like I was talking to the the um the sports information director for mm-hmm. you guys, and he was talking about just how frantic it was to get him registered. Yeah. Like they had, they had to register him like two hours ahead of the game. Yeah, he didn't and even have a jersey. Exactly. So just the fact that when you look at it, it's obviously a six 0 loss. You can't really make any excuses no. for that. But you look at just the the full picture of what was going mm-hmm. on, you see. That you had a manager come up and play and everything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember watching. Sorry, I remember watching that game on uh, my couch in my house. Me, Yvonne, Mike Tavares sitting next to each other, and it's like, well, us three aren't there, so we're things are going. You know, this is this is a tough one. Yeah, it's it's before it's, the game even started. We're kind of giving each other like a, a this look. Could, this could be a, this, this could be, be a bad one. This could be because I mean, you're talking you're talking two of the three like bona fide starters at this starters. point, and it's like. 
Ish. And then you go to Bryant. I had Rob Villanueva on the show a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He was very, very animated about this Bryant yeah. game. The fact that, that they are old, average age of 25. Is unbelievable. Unheard of in college soccer. Un- it's unheard Not of even in- sure if it's legal. I don't even. I don't <laughs> think that's, I, that's unheard of in almost <laughs> in every college, college sport, sports. period. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, I had Kasim Hill come on the show the other day. Mm-hmm. He's a seventh year senior. So it's like, when you look at football and sometimes basketball, mm-hmm. you get those occasional, occasional guys where it's like, all right, they've been here for yeah. a while, injuries, eligibility. Shirts, yeah. yeah, exactly. You never see a full team of people um, that average. Old. Like, there was a 28-year-old center attacking yeah, which mid. Which is unbelievable. Playing against our 19-year-old center defensive mid who was filling in for me. Yeah. So, it's like you look, it, you it, look at that. The odds are against. Yeah. The odds well, are against. And even, even so, Bryant at that point were 7-0, and had conceded they're, like one goal. Consistently, they're still balling out. Yeah. And it's like, it, the thing is, is that, I don't know, this result was surprising to me because Bryant never struck me as a team that was overly competitive. And it's, they haven't been until this year. Exactly. So, new coach and brought in, I believe, this is close to that number, I believe 15 players. A lot of them were from Spain. A lot, a of, them lot of them from, from Spain, Spain and a lot of them from Franklin Pierce, where he coached previously. And, yeah. So, they know his playing style, and it's his guys that are going out on the field. Yeah. So, it's super annoying and, like, terrible to watch, but they're good. And so, as... You obviously didn't play, but as one of the captains, mm-hmm. when you guys go in for training the next day, mm-hmm. like after you, after you have that demoralizing of like a four yep. day stretch, mm-hmm. how are, how are you trying to kind of keep everybody focused on what's that, going yeah, on? Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the things that I can bring as a captain. So Vetley and Kevin, like or Vetley especially, does the talking when things go wrong most of the time. So I'm kind of the one to bring everybody back. I mean, the, our soccer season, we always say uh, it's so quick you need short term memory loss. There's no point in showing up the next day for training just thinking, we suck. There's, there's no point to this. Um, so keeping everybody going is huge, but it's just like a mindset. I mean, get everybody going. Just be happy. If I'm, if I'm able to go in with a positive mindset as, you know, an upperclassman captain, then every freshman can also do it, and then every sophomore can do it. So just be an example, I'd say. And so then sort of leading by example, you're trying to – Really started to pick up results. You get a draw with LaSalle. That was the next game. It's okay. It was, it, I remember when I was discussing it with, with Rafa, he was like, we need to get a result. Just something. It needs yep. to be something. something and I mean, positive. a draw is something. It's, it's, positive. it's positive. And But then you lose to St. Louis. It's another game where it's like, you got some injuries. And that one was a tough one because I was coming back. Yvonne was coming back. So we played like the first 20 minutes and like the last 20 minutes. I thought we completely competed the entire game. Did not rate their team very highly, but on paper, it's a 2 0 loss away. Yeah. So it's, it's, you, when you, although look at we, that, we feel like it's a step in the right direction, again, it's like we fell out on points. Yeah. So it's hard to stay, but it's super hard. It's to difficult. And I mean, you look, the two or the 4 2 loss to George Mason, that one also stings. Hurts, Hurts a lot. George, because George Mason are another are team where it's like not, not great. Yeah. And not having a good year and not historically exactly are a difficult opponent. Exactly. But mm-hmm. the next two games were pretty fun. Crazy. Number 25, Fordham. Yep. 1-0 win. Smash yep. and grab win. Smash and grab. That, like, just as someone, as just a captain, as a leader on the team, mm-hmm. being a part of that celebration afterward, knowing the past four weeks were basically hell, hell. Well, how relieving was that? Incredible. For once, you know, you're not getting fingers pointed at you, and they're actually, you know, it's a hug for once. Um, it is the best feeling. I mean, obviously, in the back of our heads, we still know this is just one game. We need to have this consistency for the rest of the year. But for once, it was like some weight off our shoulders. For once, we can go into practice the next day, and everybody's actually wants to be there. Yeah. And so then, immediately after that, was a very peculiar game. Strange. I This was my first ever game I did play-by-play commentary for. Really? UMaine Fort Kent. For people who are not aware of where that <laughs> school is... UMaine Fort Kent is a USCAA school. Mm-hmm. It's a JUCO school 18 minutes south of the Canadian border in the northernmost portion of Maine. My roommate is from Maine, mm-hmm. and he says that it is a bilingual county 
where students who are like in high school there uh-huh. take three weeks off to farm. I've heard that. So you were like you were talking a program that is in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. And so obviously extenuating circumstances allowed this game to happen having the um one of their players was the son of one of the Rhode Island's greatest all-time all-time yeah. players all-time top yeah. goal scorer his name is slipping me a little bit I should remember him because <laughs> I had to say it so many times <laughs> but um so you go into that game mm-hmm. kind of knowing your opposition how like when you're training well, like what's the it training was interesting like because we I'm not going to say they're a bad opponent we thought they were going to be very good we had looked at their record we obviously don't know what teams they're playing but we look at their roster a team of strictly internationals and like two kids from Maine. Like all Jamaicans. All Jamaicans. Um, so we're going in. We're like, this is not going to be an easy game. Come to find out, they're not the best team in the world. I mean, like, Lat- and I don't want to like talk bad about them at all because they were thrown into. Uh, <laughs> it's, but a it's, it's, a, it's two different worlds, though. You yeah. look at it like, yeah, they were the number one team in the country for yeah. their division, I yeah. believe, last year. Yeah. But at the same time, you're you're comparing basically like. A D five school to a um, D one, yeah, and a, like a, a, a competitive D one, yeah, very good. So D1. it's like it's it obviously not to put them down in any sense, but it, they are very out of their depth. Um, yeah. Entertaining game, eight one, eight one <laughs> score, eight yeah, one. I mean, just as uh, do you feel that that sort of um, that sort of opponent, that sort of game was a good game to have as the senior night, just given what had been going on I the past think few so. weeks. I think so. It was nice to get everybody on the score sheet. You need your goal scorers to keep scoring goals. So, in an eight-one win like that, everybody gets on the score sheet. It's important to have an easy win every once in a while. You can't always have fordums, you know. So it's okay. I'd say for a senior night at home, lots of fans. I thought it was perfect. Yeah, and so then hopefully the idea was to use it as a springboard for the final four games of the year. For what it's worth, for what it's worth, you kind of did. We did. VCU, 3-1 loss. Mm-hmm. That very one, good opponent. Very good opponent. They VCU went on to win the conference. Perenni- perennial, yeah, regular, regular season. Per- perennial contenders every year, so very it's good. no slouch. But then, I mean, you finish the year, draw, draw, win. Draw nil-nil at Brown. Mm-hmm. Draw nil-nil at Loyola Chicago. And then, obviously, the Loyola Chicago draw put you guys out of contention. Yeah. But then kind of knowing what's going on, knowing mm-hmm. that there really isn't anything else that can happen, you go and win 2-0 at Davidson. At, at Davidson. At Davidson. Davidson are usually Who a competitive were, team. And we're doing very well this year. Exactly. Our win against them kicked them out of first place. That's which fantastic. Which is just hilarious. That's a great hilarious. feeling. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So then basically just once the season's over, you obviously are – Losing, you, you miss out in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. to get a win like that at the end, just what's Great. how's that feel? Great, and I think it shows us what we were capable of. I mean, a win with Fordham and a win against Davidson shows us that we were a team that had enough talent to compete. It's just that some games we weren't on the same page. I think that's what it really comes down to. And I mean, yeah, so just kind of just sort of expand on that. I mean, like mm-hmm. when you look back at this season, you kind of just you look back at the results, there were some great ones, there were some really bad ones. Mm-hmm. Obviously, injuries play a injuries serious are. role in it, just as they did last year, yep. but how about just what do you think were some of the reasons why it didn't really go the way you planned? So I think when things went bad to start, we had really bad reactions. I think we kind of started pointing fingers faster than we should have. We didn't own up to it. And then what it really came down to, I hate to say it, but playing... Um, Dayton and Bryant back-to-back killed us. That killed the energy in the locker room. It killed the energy from everybody. It killed our hope, our spirit. Um, so that that was kind of like a nail in the coffin. But on top of that, I think there was just some games. I, I, a whole new group is hard to play with, obviously. So first year for a lot of these guys um, who did start, it's difficult. I mean, we have no chemistry, essentially. We've only been training together for a couple months. So that's difficult. I think, I don't know, opposing mindsets. There was a couple other little factors, but just not being on the same page. And so not being on the same page, that lack of chemistry, mm-hmm. are all factors that either deteriorate or improve with time. Yep. And so now you've got, you all have an extra month off mm-hmm. to kind of, ease into your offseason a little bit, decompress mm-hmm. from the year, and now looking forward. Obviously, the players and coaches have two different ways of looking at this. Yep. You, I, we spoke about this a little bit, you're interested in trying to get a medical redshirt medical because redshirt. of the hamstring injury. Yep. 
I mean, obviously that's going to impact if you give grant if it's granted because we yep. never know with the NCAA. Never yeah. But um, just I mean, like looking forward, what are you looking forward to for next season? Obviously, now as the sole remaining person mm-hmm. of, the, of the leadership core for yep. this year, and as going to be one of the the few truly veteran guys mm-hmm. in the team. Like, what are you going to be looking forward to? Um, I'm sorry. I think we have tons of talent. So I am truly excited for kids like Burmo and Jiggy to shine. Obviously, we know the potential that they have, but I think next year, as them being upperclassmen, me being upperclassmen, I think it's going to be a time for a lot of players who were good to be great. I think they're going to be exceptional next year. And I think that's the main thing that's going to be our little catalyst into being a contender again. And so you had kind of touched upon it from the past couple of seasons about how high fan expectations Mm -hmm. were and in dealing with those. When you guys impose expectations on yourselves, because like every team, every person I ever interviewed was always like, no, no, we're always focused on, we're always focused on the team. We're always together, like always Mm -hmm. whatever. It's a lie. lie. Everybody's got their own expectations and goals and so on. But for you having now had these past two seasons where it's been Mm -hmm. less than ideal what are your own personal expectations for yourself going into next year and your expectations Mm -hmm. for the team as a whole yeah i want to be the best leader possible so i'm not so much focused on my actual playing ability obviously i want to have a big impact i want to be out in the field again um but i want to be the person that everybody looks towards i want to be the guy that represents the team represents uri I want to bring the energy. I want everybody to know when I'm on the field that I'm the one in charge. So that's my personal, I want to be the leader. I want it to be clear. Um, As a team, I think with the amount of time that we've had together, I think we need to at least compete for playoffs. I think compete for playoffs should be step one. Once you are in playoffs, anything happens, as we know in sports. Um, So I think that's where we go. I don't want to set our standards too high saying right now obviously i want to win an a10 um but to say i want to win an a10 is easy um so i think we need to lower that a little bit we need to make playoffs that is step one can easily be done with the talent that we have that's our and there were a lot of young guys mm-hmm. that were brought into the fold this year through the injuries i mean kind of talking that birmingham is not really young but i mean like he was a guy that was sort of on the offset that was yeah. brought in like Talk. when isak got hurt mm-hmm. and so you kind of look at some of these guys, do you expect a lot of these younger guys to continue to make serious steps forwards next year? Most definitely. Most definitely. I think everybody on our team currently has a really good mindset. Um, and before even next year, I think we're looking forward towards spring to have a season or at least a little season to see when we're not injured, what we're truly capable of. I mean, we only saw it for six games at the beginning of the year, but they were very good six games. So I think that's our first step as a team. And so what do you have in store for the offseason for you? A little bit of time to relax and be... Right now, relax. Um, and then spring, we're ramping up training again a couple of days a week. And then we'll have like five, six scrimmages. So I think that's going to be our time to see what we're, see what we're about, any, finally. Any opponents set for any scrimmages? I don't know, but it's usually some local teams. So I bet it'll be Bryant, UMass, some teams that have some quality. So I think it'll be a good test, but I think it's going to be a time for... For us to show we're, we're truly capable of. Well, that's, well, that's fantastic to hear. I, for one, am very excited to see where this team moves on to next year. But, Max, thank you for joining me today. Of course. This was, thank this you was for very, having me. This is very informative. As one of my favorite teams to work with on campus. Thank you. I, thank you. I was disappointed to see how this season went, yep. but I, I feel like that there is way more to the story mm-hmm. than just the record. There was so much that went on behind the scenes, so much positive work that mm-hmm. was done that I feel like that – Next year, even though the expectations are probably going to be a little bit lower, I still feel like that there's a lot of room to grow and there's going to be a lot of um, talent that the team will have at their disposal to really achieve some great things. It's going to be amazing. I'm very much excited to see that. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Marks or Marks. We are going to be having Chris Tavarone on next week, uh, captain from the URI Men's Track and Field program so that's going to be a fun interview so everybody tune in same time next friday three to four p.m and i will i guess i'll see you guys in the next one (laughs)